We are T-minus one hour, 54 minutes and 52 seconds away from tip-off inside a Bramlage Coliseum. The second-ranked Jayhawks are visiting Manhattan. For this year's first edition of the Sunflower Showdown, it is the 298th overall in the series. KU has won the last seven. And it'll be Jerome Tang's first crack at Bill Self becoming the head coach of the Kansas State Wildcats. Welcome to the game. I am Mitch Fortner with Troy Coverdale. We're only on until 5 o'clock. That's when pregame coverage takes over with the Cats and Hawks tipping off at officially 6.02. And if you are a student listening to the show right now, if the speakers are on there at Bramlage and you're listening, just want you to know the door is open in 23 minutes. You'll be able to storm into Bramlage and get your spot. And I'm going to be leaving the station at about 4.40. Uh, I wouldn't be shocked to see Bramlage just about full when it comes to the student section, full of K-State fans ready to bring the Octagon of Doom to full throat here in less than two hours from now. K-State is 15-2 with a 4-1 record in conference play. Meanwhile, the Kansas Jayhawks have reached a plateau, I guess, that K-State tried to reach but lost to TCU. KU has won 10 in a row. But I will say, four of their five conference wins have been by four points or less. Is this KU team vulnerable? Well, coming up at about 425. Mitch Palm will officially predict tonight's game between the Cats and Jayhawks. Again, less than two hours away. Now down to an hour and 53 minutes. Not like I got a timer in front of me or anything. Plus, here in just a few moments, we're set to be joined by former host of this show, John Kurtz. Uh-oh, we not? Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Didn't answer? Voicemail. What? John. He's important, man. He asked me to come on the show. If he could come on. (laughs) He might be listening right now if he's close enough. Oh, well, I guess we'll just have to try him here a little bit. Yeah, might do better than than me leaving the voicemail, honestly. Mitch Fortner, Troy Coverdale, just us two today. Troy will take over at about 4.40 and bring you. Are you planning to bring us a number two song of the day? I have a gem of a number two song of the day today. All right. Does it have anything, does it relate in any way to our game tonight? Just that it would fit the Jock Jam style format. Okay. Okay. Just just it's a pump-up song. Oh, speaking of song, uh, if you've seen it on social media, I saw it first from Mason, but the other media folks are reporting this as well. Sandstorm. Right? Yes. Oh. They were testing it out. Got as, ma- as a matter of fact, we gotta we do have a sandstorm button. Maybe, should we should we test ours out real quick? Okay. Okay, seems to be working. Yeah, I think we're good. <laughs> An hour and fifty one minutes away. Go ahead and try him again if you don't mind. Uh hey, what do you know? There goes the line. All right, good deal. Because we're going to talk to John Kurtz here in just a moment. Um, Mitch Palm again coming up at about 425. Going to give you a full breakdown of what to expect from the Jayhawks tonight with that starting lineup, the bench, what they're good at, maybe not what they're so great at either. But now we are pleased to be joined by the former host of this show. He was the host of this show for about eight years, and now he's living in Kansas City. He's a member of the Three Mob Podcast. His name is John Kurtz. John, we had to call you a couple times. What's going on? Well, uh, you know, I've got my, I'm usually working, you know, until 5 o'clock, so I have my phone in do not disturb mode. 
And uh, so it just, you know, takes all the calls straight to voicemail. And then I looked up at the clock, and I was like, oh, I guess, uh, I guess I should probably check that. My bad. You know, I'm a corporate man now. I'm, I'm trained to uh, corporate hackers. I'm not, I'm not like all you uh, – freewheeling radio guys anymore right it's hard to get time from john for a small time radio folks i would i just assumed you're either listening to kanye or creed one of the two was taking up your time as a distraction well listen if um you pay attention to the news cycle these days let's stick with creed okay let's stick with creed oh okay uh, but you know you can always always use a little extra creed in my life you know well the cats are 15 and 2 i need to get an update from John Kurtz on what he thinks about this run so far. That Tang is off to, you know, the best start ever for a first-year head coach. I mean, it's been beyond my wildest uh, imagination for sure. I think it's I think it's actually pretty similar to uh, the last time. Last time I remember calling, I I don't remember what had just happened. I don't know if they had just landed R.J. Jones or whoever in the next recruiting class it was. But I was like, look, I mean. It's gone way better than you could have possibly imagined. And we're sitting here saying the same thing now that Tang has these 17 games actually into his career. I mean, I know Saturday was a little bit frustrating just with how it got out of hand at TCU. But, like, uh, this, this team is so far ahead of schedule and this program is, is so far ahead of schedule under him. I just I can't, I can't thank him enough for doing that and taking the program to where it's at right now and getting us to the point where we're all rejuvenated and excited. I mean, like, I was – after the Oklahoma State game, especially the way that that ended with Keontae's alley-oop, I was like, man, I just all the talk about the arena, the atmosphere. Like, I was having nostalgia flashbacks to when I was in college from 2007 to 2011, um, coinciding, of course, perfectly with the Frank Martin era, which, you know, I mean, the Octagon of Doom has been loud, and, and when Bruce had teams that were winning, it was certainly a rowdy atmosphere. But I feel like the, the Frank era was a little different because everybody was just so starved for a winner at that point, hadn't experienced it, and it was all new and exciting. And this kind of has that feel because we just went through three years through the basketball desert uh, of the team being that bad and everybody just wanting to. And then not only that, but all the bickering and infighting and that sort of thing, and everybody just wanted to be like unified on board here. So um, that's all been really cool. That's been really cool, and that's why I'm using, as you can tell from the way I open this, that's why I'm using PTO. Uh, to drive to Manhattan for a six o'clock Tuesday game. It's six o'clock kids. Good lord. But anyway, I'm I'm using PTO and I'm I'm on my way to the game because I am rejuvenated. Uh, like I think a lot of people really are uh, with how this team is played. But I, you know, it's not just recruiting and bringing in Keontae, which was a, a huge part of it. The other part is like just equipping Marquise Noel with the development to turn him into what he is now. I mean, he you know he goes from an honorable mention All Big Twelve player to like Big 12 player of the year, uh, the way things are going right now, which has just been incredible and it's such a positive sign for the future. I think we, we knew he could recruit. We knew he could be a kind of a leader uh, and, and galvanize people going into the season. But what we didn't know is, like, what the in-game coaching going to look like, what the development look like. And I think uh, those, you know, he's knocked those out of the park so far. Uh, so all signs are, are definitely trending to this, this being a, a very, very fruitful marriage uh, between the two as of right now. You brought up at your time when you were a student that you know the Frank Martin days was you know really the the beginning, but also felt like the prime of the octagon of doom uh, with so many great teams that Frank had. 
But when you were a student, I remember one time, as a matter of fact, it was the college game day game, 2010, in January 2010, where I stood in line for 15 hours to get into that game, but back then didn't have the tier system. Do you recall the longest you ever spent waiting in line as a student to get into a game? It doesn't have to be the KU game, any game. Yeah, man, I did a lot of it. Uh, and this is still, I'm still, I thought of this yesterday because uh, the highlight popped up of the Michael Beasley game, which was my freshman year when the streak ended. And that day, like, I got up with a group of people. In that era, like, I was always on the first couple of rows for pretty much every game except that Kansas game. It was, there was no order, there was no tier system, there was no organization, no nothing. I remember standing outside, they had it like gated off, and I remember looking, like we showed up at like four in the morning, and I remember seeing people that were already staked out there behind these gates, and at some point, like people just popped them and started running up there in line anyway before you were actually technically even supposed to be like let into the parking lot, which I think was maybe like six. Um, I don't, it's been a while, you know I'm old these days, so some of the details are fuzzy on that, but I remember being frustrated with that because then after showing up at 4 a.m., by the time I got in line and then people that were, like, holding places for people in front of the line and they had already jumped the fences early and all this stuff, I sat, like, 25 rows up <laughs> in the student section after getting there at 4 in the morning. But, I mean, hey, all is well that ain't well. I didn't care when I was down on the floor at the, the end of the game. But, I don't know. I remember a Texas game, too. I think it was the 2009-2010 uh, uh, Texas game that season when Texas was number one and came into Grandma's. That was... Next to uh, next to those KU games of that era, that was definitely the best atmosphere and most fun that I had in a pregame buildup to a game. And that was similar, you know. Also, I had to get in line crazy early. I think by then they actually had a, some semblance of order to it. I do remember there being groups uh, that they had somewhat organized for the 0809 KU game that was on Valentine's Day in case they blew like a 15 point lead in the first half. Um, so I, I feel like it got better, but when it first started. There was no organization, and that KU game was a. I, I tell you what, students have it have it lucky now that they have some some kind of organization for what's going on there because it was it was just uh, just total open the floodgates and see what happens. Back back in my day, you know, back in my day. Speaking with John Kurtz, former host of this very show, former uh, sports director here at Cayman, now with the Three Mob Podcast, living in Kansas City, living the corporate life. Need to get a couple of predictions from you, John, from this game tonight, which you're currently traveling traveling to on I seventy. Uh, you know, there you know each team has great players, of course, but uh, I'm just going to pull out kind of two from or one from each side. Two players. Who do you think has the bigger night? Who's bigger, Johnson or Dick? <laughs> you can't steal my own joke from me that I stole from somebody else exactly what you just did. You just stole my own joke. Uh, you wanting me to answer this actually seriously, or was that just a, a build-up to get off the, the lowest hanging fruit joke? Listen, the person you stole it from stole it from somebody else. That person stole it from somebody else. It, it all goes back to, like, the second week of the season. It's radio. We're good at stealing ideas. But I want to treat it as a serious question. Who, who has the bigger night? Uh, well, I certainly hope that it's Johnson. I've always been Team Johnson um, over Team Dick. I can say that with 100% certainty, and that that will not change tonight. Um, I look, Keontae's been in a slump, but I think that you know that much has been obvious the last two games. It feels to me like teams have kind of figured out a way to defend him, especially when he tries to put the ball on the floor. 
Um, they, they figured out a way to really frustrate him and knock the ball loose quite a bit. I think he had six turnovers in Fort Worth. Um, I think he, he – I feel like he's poised for a big night. I, I think, you know, Sang talked a lot in the post-game press conference, doing a lot of talking in press conferences these days. Uh, but he talked in the post-game press conference uh, after the game about, you know, we didn't – I didn't feel like we had the guys in the right positions to succeed and we don't turn it over that – like, our guys don't turn it over that much. Like, that's on us. Uh, to me, that indicates they're going to, they will figure something out, and I would imagine that they, they will have some kind of plan there. Now, big time, you got to worry about Bill Self is the king of uh, box and one, triangle and two, stuff like that. I would imagine you're going to see something like that tonight at some point uh, to, to try and neutralize some of that. But I think Keontae will have a bigger game. The other thing I would say is, like, I think the guy that I fear the most is, in fact, Dick. I very much fear Grady Dick um, because I look Jalen Wilson's great, but I when Grady Dick gets going and he gets hot, I mean he can just he can pile on twelve points on you in a hurry uh, from beyond the arc. So I I know some teams have had some success recently, like face guarding Grady Dick with somebody. I wouldn't be opposed to having like Cam Carter try to do that just to, to take him out of the game as much as you can. So my hope my hope is that that is what happens and uh, Johnson is in fact bigger than Dick tonight. Yeah, you're right with the face guard. Oklahoma did that and uh, kept Grady Dick to one for five from the floor or from uh, from three point range. I believe he was also one of eight from the floor in that game. So to wrap up, John, I'm gonna steal another bit of yours, and that's with just with the overall prediction of tonight's game. And you can rattle off a couple of keys other than what you just mentioned with the Grady Dick versus uh, Keontae Johnson, who has the bigger game. But I'm gonna ask a question you always ask on uh, on Twitter: How you feeling tonight? Uh, I'll be honest, man. I just got a lot of mixed emotions. The, I, I, I mean, I could talk. I don't know. It sounds like you don't have a ton of time. I could talk for a very long time about the state, the comments made at the press conference and everybody's reaction to all of that. I just, I totally get what Jerome Tang is saying, and I think there's a valid message there. But I would be lying if I didn't say that three weeks in a row of this, like something that he said at a press conference just kind of killing my vibe a little bit. And I, I'm sure once I get in the arena, I'll be fired up and I'll be excited and whatnot, whatever. But, it's just, you know, we've got back-to-back weeks of a little bit of fan shaming here. And, I, again, I appreciate the message. I appreciate what he's trying to do. I, I think he's right. But uh, the, the way that it's come across and the way that it started more fighting among the fan base on Twitter or in the case of when they wanted people to get to the Oklahoma State game, like fighting with Barry Brown – on Twitter, it's just like, well, I, it's we should all be a thousand percent bought in, which we are for the most part, but it's just, it's killing my vibe a little bit. So I don't, I don't know if that was really shading things for me right now, but I don't, I feel a close loss. That I feel a close loss, but I'm, I'm also just a little bit frustrated by three straight weeks of like, hey, beat Texas, it's great. Then he gets asked about the Texas job, and you know, far from a denial. I, I, Say what you will about his answer. It was not really. It didn't make me feel great. And then you've got, hey, everybody. I'm fine with him saying we've earned the right for you guys to all show up to the Oklahoma State game. That's fine. But then when it's the former players like getting in on fan shaming and stuff, I'm like, guys, you know, you know, people are excited. They're gonna be there. Like, like, it's fine. And then of course, you know, this week the rent free comment, which you know we're gonna hear that played on. That'll be on Kansas highlight reels for a decade. That'll be on Twitter for a decade. Um, if he wins, it's, it's all going to be fine. Um, but 
I don't know. I'm just I'm a little I'm a little all tied up because of that. I think in, as far as the game goes, K State stars just like they have to be stars. I think we found out last week with both games what happens when one guy's off or what happens when both guys are off. And it, it's going to be hard to win a lot of games in the Big 12 if both guys are off. And, and it turned into a pretty big grinder against maybe the worst team in the league in, in Oklahoma State. I guess that's probably up for debate. But one of the bottom-tier teams in the league against Oklahoma State at home when even one of the two is off. So I, you, you've got to find a way to get both of those guys going. And I think, to me, again, I would just make sure that you're not getting beat by Grady Dick and, and try to make Jalen Wilson beat you. He, he can kind of shoot himself out of game sometimes, so I would rather take my chances with that. Um, I think it'll be a great atmosphere. I think it'll be a lot of fun. But, yeah, right now I, I, I would love to be wrong. You can come dunk on me at JL Curse on Twitter if, if and when K-State wins and all that's totally fine. But, yeah, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a, a close L here at the moment. Well, Mitch Palm is coming up next. Mitch Palm uh, will take your words into consideration and uh, put it through the algorithm to see if you lean it towards KU or for K-State tonight uh, for the – oh, my gosh. How about this, John? You're getting some outro music. Oh, there it is. Okay, I was like, I can't hear it. Now I can hear it. All right. I'll take that. All right, John, thanks for coming on. We'll see you in uh, the Octagon of Doom here in a few minutes. All right, I am, I am glad my, you have made my day, Mitch, and turned my frown upside down by letting me know that Mitch Palm still exists and lives on. I'm excited to hear that. Thank you. Thanks, John, and Mitch Palm is coming up next. So, John, don't go anywhere. You don't go anywhere. Prediction time is next. Doors are opening in less than two minutes for Bramlage Coliseum. It's about to be a mad rush for the good seats for those Tier 1 kids. Tip-off at 6.02 from Bramlage Coliseum. But, of course, before we play a basketball game, we got to get Mitch Palm's prediction. Go ahead, Troy, hit it. Here's Mitch Palm. With tonight's prediction. Cats are 13th ranked in the country. 15-2 and two is their record. 13th ranked in the country. 4-1 record. Number two, Kansas, is 16-1. They're the only undefeated left in conference play at 5-0, and, uh, and while three teams are 4-1 in the conference. Cats' nine-game winning streak came to an end at TCU. Meanwhile, again, KU winning 10 straight. Their only loss this year to number nine, Tennessee, in the battle for Atlantis. All right. Let's break down this game. Let's break down the Jayhawks. First things first, Dick. Fifth best three-point shooting percentage in the country. 49, 47.9%. He basically goes three for six. That's about what he's averaging. Three for six every game from three-point range. I want to bring this point that K-State has basically seen a Grady Dick on the floor And that's Baylor's Adam Flagler when it comes to the shooting numbers. And K-State's already played Baylor. That was in Waco. The Cats went in overtime. But Flagler had a lot of freedom. And he played a really good game. He was 3 of 6 from 3. Had 23 points. Also dished out 7 assists. Obviously, a learning experience from that. How does K-State adjust to another great 3-point shooter who's probably going to be on that weak side wing 
ready to catch and shoot. A couple of teams have done pretty well, actually, defensively in Big 12 play against Grady Dick. Tech held him one for five, was pretty good on defense. Maybe Oklahoma was the best so far in what John brought up earlier in the face guarding. Yeah, it was working. One of four from three. First of all, limited his chances from three. Four and six, that's a big difference. And also is one of eight from the floor. Now, right now, Grady Dick in Big 12 plays 13 of 28. Without Dick, I want to bring this up. KU without him, their shooting numbers from three without him is 33.5%. I mean, that is, that's a tad bit below average. If you can do your best of taking Grady Dick out of the equation of a three-point shooting team, KU is slightly below average without him. Now for K-State, Marquise Noel has been the best from three-point range in the Big 12 so far. He's uh, 46.2%, 18 of 39. He's made the most threes, I should say. He's third best in shooting percentage. Keontae Johnson needs a bounce back. Last three games for him, he's been three of 15 from three. Can this be his bounce back? Let's have our fingers crossed that it is. The starting five for KU, very good. Jalen Wilson is a candidate for sure for Big 12 Player of the Year. Leads the conference with 19.8 points per game. He's second in rebounds at nine a contest. And he's also second best on the team in assists in two and a half. He shoots it more than anybody else. He takes about 30% of KU shots per game. Kevin McCuller, who's K-State seen many times, is averaging 11 and seven. KJ Adams is averaging 11 points, five rebounds a game. Now, KU doesn't have that traditional five. Their starting lineup is a, is a bit of a smaller lineup, especially with the Fords. I believe their tallest player is 6'8". And then you have Dewan Harris. You're going to have two of the best point guards in the Big 12 facing off against each other. Dewan Harris, second best in assists this year, a little over six a game. Those are the starters. The bench is a different story. They don't have Sharon Collins coming off that bench. They have Bobby Pettiford, who plays 16 minutes a game, but maybe scoring three or four points a contest. Now, neither team is exactly great when it comes to coming off the bench and scoring points. Both are in the bottom three of the conference, but KU is last in the Big 12 and in the bottom 15 of the entire country with their 12.6 bench points per game. KU in Big 12 play is averaging nine points off the bench per game. K-State right now is averaging 18 points off the bench. Another thing about KU, I see this as a vulnerable team. I really do. Four of their five Big 12 games have been decided by four points or less. And in most of those games, three of the four, the opponent has had a decent lead. Oklahoma led by 10 KU wins by four. Oklahoma State led by 15 at the half. Of course, not a very good offensive team, but KU found a way to win by two. Tech led by eight, and KU wins by three points. The Jayhawks are so good at figuring out a way to claw back in the contest. They'll switch up a defense if they have to, give you different looks, and I think you know a nervous factor comes into play because maybe you do have KU on the ropes. Allen Fieldhouse or wherever pressure probably starts to set in a little bit and plus k-state's defense does worry me a little bit because the cats even though they are best in the big 12 at three-point field goal defense at 28 percent they're still the worst at allowing the most points 82 and a half a game in big 12 play so here are my keys 
keep emotions in check. It's going to be a Pat Bramlage Coliseum, the Octagon of Doom. It's going to be loud. It's going to be a hell of an environment. And I cannot wait to drive over to Bramlage and get my night started inside the Octagon of Doom. Students are already in the building. Yeah. Doors open four minutes ago. But it's like what Gino Oriema used to say about UConn. When they would go on the road as the best team in the country, they would draw fans. But the pressure wasn't on them. It was on the home team to play in front of a packed house like that. You know, when things add up, yes, pressure is probably a little bit more on K-State than it is KU. Don't let the Jayhawks get to a hot start in either half. They've been great at coming out of the locker room and going on a run in the second half or even starting hot in the first half. You don't want to let the Jayhawks build a lead. Plus, Noel and Johnson, this one's obvious, cannot afford a sloppy game. Your two stars, who both did not play well, had a rough night at TCU. That added up very poorly for K-State, and TCU is such a good team, they were able to take advantage, and they controlled the game. They really controlled the game the way they wanted to. Can't let KU do that. Johnson and Noel have to take care of the basketball be smart and so does everybody else but obviously going to rely on them more to hit the big shots now without all being said and done Ken Palm has KU winning this game 75-73 43% chance here's the deal I think this is KU's time to get caught like I said earlier a vulnerable team they have escaped four or five games so far this year in, in conference play. With everything said, I think it's just K-State's night. It's just one of those gut feelings at the end of the day. It's going to come down to the final couple of minutes. Can K-State be the better team in those final couple of minutes? We'll find out. I have K-State's winning percentage, 54%. Final score tonight, Cat 79, KU 75. Dramatic pause. Dramatic pause. Yeah, I was just letting it set in a little bit. I was, I, I was just picturing everybody cheering in their cars, honking their <laughs> horns. Maybe pulled over to hug. I don't know. But that's Mitch Palm. And there's your prediction tonight. So here's the deal. Uh, even though it's us two, Troy, best of luck. You're taking over the show for the rest of these 23 minutes. Uh, number two song of the day. Number two song of the day. Little Ask Us Anything, maybe? Well, I mean, there's nobody to I, ask. I, yeah. Maybe instead you give your thoughts on tonight's game. Uh, as, I, as, as I put it in the recap, time-wasting with Troy. <laughs> with that being said, I'm out of here. I'm on my way to Bramlage Coliseum. Cannot wait to see how this game unfolds. I'm out of here. Troy takes over for the rest of the show. Go Cats. This is the game on News Radio KMAN. Directed, let's begin. Party on, party people, let me hear some noise. DC's in the house, jump, jump, rejoices. There's a party over here, a party over there. Wave your hands in the air, shake the dairy, yeah. These three words mean you're getting busy. Whoop, there it is, hit me. Okay, so I had to dig into the 
Jock Jam's era of material today for the number two song of the day. Whoop, there it is from Tag Team. Spent seven weeks at number two and in fact was the 1993 number two song for the year on Billboard's Hot 100. It wound up sitting on the rankings at number two, one week behind UB40's Can't Help Falling in Love, followed by the next week, Mariah Carey jumped over these two Atlanta men with Dream Lover, July 31st of 1993. That said, now... The boys are considered one-hit wonders as their subsequent singles did not find the same success. We all, however, still remember this song, given that not only has it remained a pop culture staple, it's still been a mainstay at sporting and arena events to the point that the Spurs actually had Stephen D.C. in the Alamo Dome last Friday night. Yes, the Spurs returned to the Dome last Friday night to play a game for the first time in 25 years. They wound up having moved into the Alamo Dome back in 1993, thus the connection, and the boys from I, I just, I know, it's humorous. I get it. The boys from Tag Team performed at halftime of the game the other evening. What was it, Friday night? So it was recorded in August of 1992. Praise for a positive and uplifting tone. It received an award in the category for Best Rap 12-inch at the 1994 International Dance Music Awards. It ranked number seven on VH1's 100 Greatest One-Hit Wonders. It's 58 on Billboard's Greatest Songs of All Time. Atlanta Magazine called it the bomb party song of the 90s. (laughs) And who can forget that it is right at the centerpiece of one of the best Ever Geico ads, as in Scoop, there it is. Recorded in 92, would you believe that, uh, just for good measure, we'll point this out because the place where one of them, Glenn, a.k.a. Roland Gibson, was working before this song hit, is one of the most infamous gentlemen's clubs in Atlanta. He was working as the main DJ at Magic City. The song sampled the synthesizer line from the 1980 Italo disco hit I'm Ready by a group called Cano. All right. And Glenn played the track in the club on the same day it was mixed receiving a positive reaction from the audience. 
I don't know why Spotify doesn't want to play nice, but we'll leave it there. In the following months, po- people requested the song so often it became the clear that clear that the song had the potential to become a hit. Thus, the single was shopped to and rejected by multiple record labels because executives were unfamiliar with where they wanted to go with this. So Rolla borrowed $2,500 from his parents to press 800 records. The singles quickly sold out in Atlanta on word of mouth alone. And from there, it went on to see them signed by Stax Records. Now, a similar song had been released by the Miami group 95 South a month prior called Woot, There It Is. The record companies maintained the similarities were a coincidence. Woomp was a common expression used by dancers in Atlanta and Miami nightclubs that members from both groups frequented. Arsenio Hall hosted both on his TV show to perform their versions and let viewers vote on their favorite by calling a 900 number to donate money to the relief effort from the 93 Midwest floods. So again, number two on the charts for two weeks, but it went on to be the number two song overall for the year, finishing at number two on the Billboard Hot 100 for 1993, Whoop, There It Is, by Tag Team. The number two song for the day. Coming back, yeah, I get to waste a little time. That as we continue on the game this it is Tuesday, right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, this Tuesday afternoon, getting you set for KUK State tonight on the hardwood at Bramlage. Back for the final stretch on the game. This Tuesday afternoon, Troy Coverdale, Mitch Fortner headed over to Bramlage Coliseum where things are going to get crazy. We'll join the K-State Sports Network coming up in a matter of six minutes to tune you up for the game. 6.02, the official tip time tonight as the Cats match up tonight with KU. First time this season of the two, of course, that the teams will meet. Interesting the arguments that have gone on online throughout the course of the day today. Social media has been, well, as expected. After the comments that were made by Jerome Tang yesterday to the media, you heard John Kurtz earlier this hour address the comment talking about the fact that, well, in some ways, KU lives rent-free in K-Staters' heads. And that it is about not hating KU. The comment by Tang yesterday. There's some validity to the point to be made by Tang, but I'm not so sure that that was the time to make it. Might be the only argument that I would have on it, to be perfectly honest. But that's also having seen what You know, the social media morass that is called Twitter turns into any time that you get into the argument. Our friend over at Kansas Pregame 
in fact, a few weeks back had posted a tweet regarding KU and K-State folks being friends. Why do they have to pick on each other? I jokingly issued a tweet, you know, along the lines of, how about no? Followed up with a winking smiley face just because I'm sarcastic that way. More to pick on Kansas pregame than it was to pick on, honestly, the idea. But it's a rivalry. And I don't care if it's the K-State KU rivalry, if it's Kentucky-Louisville rivalry. I mean, honestly, the, the rivalries get nasty. They really do. And the one flaw with what Tang said is the fact that it doesn't register what this rivalry means in the minds of fans on both sides. Now, granted, for KU, more often than not, they're going to get into the mindset that the rivalry for them is Missouri. And there are historical reasons for that that make perfect sense. But when it comes to what is now the Big 12 Conference, for KU, that rivalry should be K-State. For K-State, it's a gimme. And that means that there is going to be anger, vitriol, rather sharp mockery, all of those things. It goes hand-in-hand with a rivalry. And I wonder if part of that, at least in Coach Tang's case, comes from the fact Does Baylor truly have a rival? And he's been an assistant there for 19 years before coming to K-State. But does Baylor truly have a rival? It about the closest maybe would be TCU, but I don't see that as being a rivalry. I joke that there may be one in the offing between Baylor and BYU, but that's going to be based on both being heavily religious schools. UT is everybody's rival as it pertains to the old Southwest Conference teams for many of the same reasons that UT is hated now by pretty much everybody in the Big 12 and maybe even in the SEC for that matter. But rivalry along the lines of two teams that have played some 200 times, I don't know that the Baylor staff can say that they've experienced that, and now Jerome Tang, as head coach, gets to experience it tonight when Kansas State takes on KU. It shall be interesting to watch and see what the mindset is after the game from Coach Tang. Coverage from the K-State Sports Network just around the corner. We'll, of course, have a full rundown for you tomorrow morning when I check back in with you on K-Man's Morning News. Go Cats! Beat Hawks!